I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Travis Watts. Uh, I sort of feel like Travis doesn't need an introduction, but Travis is a full-time passive investor. Uh, he's also the director of investor relations at Ashcroft Capital. Uh, I feel like probably most of the people listening have heard you all over the best ever uh, podcast and, and other places. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Travis. Thrilled to be here, Jason. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Yeah, thank you. So um, I wonder if you could just kind of Give us a little bit of your background, you know, so how you got started and, and uh, worked your way. I know there's some steps along the way that I, I'm sure you've shared before, but maybe give us a summary of, of your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So my journey, basically, as far as real estate's concerned, uh, started like a lot of people start with real estate with single family homes, like yourself, got into fix and flips, thought, you know, because of HGTV, that was going to be the path that was going to, you know, <laughs> lead, lead to the end result. And so I, you know, and then I got into vacation rentals. This was kind of as the Airbnb thing was really on a, on a strong uptrend. I thought this is the future. This is what's, what's going on now. So the point was I had a W2 job. It was actually in the oil industry, completely unrelated. And I was working nearly a hundred hours per week. And I was trying to do all this single family stuff on the side and trying to scale it up and thinking, I guess, a bit naively that one day I'll wake up and have 100 homes under my belt. And there you go. There's retirement. Uh, but <laughs> you know, not even getting 20% down that path, I quickly realized all the hurdles and setbacks, the time commitment, even when you have property managers, as you well know, you're always managing someone or something. And just because you have a property manager doesn't mean you you don't have to think about should I repaint my house? Should I you know repair the roof on that property, or should I just go ahead and replace it? Or is it time to refinance or time to sell? Or you know, there's there's just a lot of active components, and you know, just long story short, I burned myself out. You know, Jason, I I did six years. Of, of putting myself through that, thinking I can do it on my own. I don't need to leverage anybody else. I'll figure it out. And again, a, a bit naive. And uh, so in 2015 and 16, I discovered multifamily real estate syndications, actually through a local meetup group. And there was two gentlemen who had sold their companies in the mid 1990s and kind of became investors overnight didn't have the desire to go flip homes and do, do the smaller deals, just wanted to go park this capital they now had into something that produced passive income. And this was the first time I heard about syndications and private placements and the, the idea that you could really live on passive income. You could really set yourself free, so to speak, through investing this way. And so I became a full-time limited partner investor where I invest in a lot of these larger multifamily deals primarily. I invest in a lot of things, but primarily it's it's that. So my journey's been one of you know trial and error. Um, 
you know, at first the lessons learned were not surrounding myself with the right people, uh, going down paths I probably shouldn't have gone down as far as real estate's concerned, just because I didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't defined my why to your point. I was just trying to make a buck, you know, and so later kind of uncovered the big picture and I'm just out to help people, you know, uh, become limited partners or, or figure out the pros and cons and whether or not that's a fit for, for somebody or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, I, I, we talked a little bit before we started recording, but yeah, we similar background, right? I, I was also sort of flipping houses. I had that uh, mythical hundred houses that, I, you know, if I get to hundred <laughs> houses, that'll be, that'll do it. I'll be there. Everything will be good, but it's, it's hard to, to do all that and also work you know, your, your full-time job. And so then getting into, into a passive place. So maybe um, you could go into a little bit more about, you know, kind of what, what the difference is, right? So active investor, passive investor, and we we stick on sort of the multifamily side of things um, just, Mm -hmm. just so people have it defined. And then, and then we'll go into more about, you know, sort of your, your recommendations, things like that, as far as passive investing. Sure. I'll try to give my most unbiased um, description of, of pros and cons. I, I like to be fair because not everything is for every person. Obviously, that goes for any investment. So when you're an active investor, what I mean by that is you're actively involved in the business plan. Okay, You have decision-making rights. You're putting your own time, energy, and effort towards making something happen, Right, managing tenants, managing uh, property managers, whatever it is, uh, flipping homes like we both did. When you're passive, you are, it'd be like owning, you know, Apple or Facebook stock, right? You're a passive investor. You you don't work at Apple. You don't work at Facebook. You don't make decisions on behalf of the company. You're not on the board. You you have no involvement. You're just saying, look, I got some money. I'm going to put it here. Hopefully I get a return on investment, right? And you're putting your faith, trust, and money in the hands of someone else that you feel can do something perhaps better than you can do. (laughs) That's, That's simply the way that I look at it. So the pros to being active are you you call the shots, it's your deal, you find your own thing, you choose the business plan, you choose when to refinance, sell, purchase, whatever you're doing. Um, when you're passive, like I said, it's, it's not my shot to call. Even if I think a property should, should go through a refinance or sell, I don't make that decision, right? So it's, you know, pros and cons. So the cons to being passive, your money's illiquid most of the time in these private placements. So when I go put a hundred thousand into a deal, I may not see that money for five plus years, maybe, you know? And so I just have to recognize that when versus investing, say in a stock where I go put a hundred grand in in an index fund tomorrow. And the next day I go, you know what? I actually want that money back. I'm going to do something else with it. I'm going to put it over here instead. I don't have that freedom to do that, right? Um, The cons to being active are, in my opinion, is why I burn myself out, you know? Sounds like you, you might have as well to a point. I mean, it's a lot of work. You know, I think we all hope that things are rosy and that they go according to plan, right? It's just, we, we run the numbers on our little pencil pad and it's like, okay, I'm gonna buy this house for 300K, it's gonna rent for 3000 and then I'm gonna have this much money in 10 years. It rarely does that, <laughs> you know? It's, it's the roof and it's the HVAC and it's a bad tenant and it's, you know, the whatever pops up, you know? So 
you kind of got to ride ride that wave and it can be a lot of work. So that's kind of the, the pros and cons, I guess. I mean, in, in a butchered up way of, of active versus passive. So a lot of people who are passive like I am, they're not necessarily full-time LPs, uh, limited partners. They're mostly highly paid or uh, high net worth individuals. So say a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, an attorney, a professional athlete, somebody who, you know, they're focused on something else. They're working their highest and best on what they know and understand. But guess what? They have some money they want to go put somewhere. And not everyone wants to dump it all in the stock market in an IRA or a 401k. So they're using these syndications to diversify a bit. And they're putting some money elsewhere outside the publicly traded markets, which as we all know, are very volatile and very speculative, quite frankly. And so that's most people who invest this way. The old cliche of it takes money to make money is not always true, but when you're a limited partner investor is pretty much true. <laughs> so once you get your nest egg up, then it might be something to look into um, is kind of my general thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually a really good point. I mean, you see a lot of things out there about, uh, especially once you start digging into, you know, multifamily syndication space, it's like, look at these amazing things you can do, even if you don't have money, you probably mm -hmm. can't come in on the, on the LP side, if you don't have any money, nobody's, that is what that, <laughs> that's effectively what the LP is, right? That's the, the money, the capital part of the, uh, the deal. And so you would have to sort of be active in some way, I think, uh, if you're if you're starting from a, a low capital standpoint. Um, maybe talk about your thoughts on the why someone might invest as a limited partner in in a syndication versus like the stock market and things. You, you brought that up. So what what would be why do you think people would pick one over the other? Sure. So I guess there's there's two ways to look at that. So you have REITs, which are real estate investment trusts, and a REIT can be private, it can be public. But for this purpose, I'm, I'm trying to give the most comparable example that I can in the stock market. So a REIT would hold, let's say, multifamily apartments, you could choose one that holds self storage or mobile home parks, there's all kinds of REITs out there. But in general, it's a fund, and it holds commercial real estate. Okay, so if I were to go put money into REITs, which I occasionally do when the market has major pullbacks, like we saw in 2020, and things go 40% off, I thought, hey, still a nice cash flow play. You know, that's kind of the pro and con, right? Is sometimes you're you're vastly overpaying for the real estate when the market's in this artificial bubble hype or whatever. And then sometimes it pulls back artificially low. And you think, man, that's still some great real estate that they're holding. So maybe it's a time to get in. So I'm not ever gonna be black and white on that, like REITs versus private placements, one's bad, one's good. It's not like that. It's just opportunistic, right? It's where, where the opportunity lies. So when you invest in a REIT, it's subject to the volatility of the stock market. So I could invest today and tomorrow, you know, the S&P is way up 3%, some crazy, right? Well, my REIT's probably going to go up too, right? So I might make some money off that. But also, if everyone has a massive sell-off, then I might lose 20% of the value tomorrow, you know, and that's just because some guru gets on TV and says, the sky is falling and everything's terrible. And then boom, you know, I just lost money. And that to me doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm, I'm very um, anti volatility. <laughs> so hence why I do so much private placement investing. So 
why someone might choose a private placement is it's more stable, typically speaking, right? It's more predictable. It's a lot like owning a single family home. You know, you, the, the market's not going up 10% tomorrow and down 30% next week. It's much more slow, stable, consistent, predictable. And I like, you know, I diversify privately, you know, so I'm in a bunch of funds with a bunch of different groups and single asset deals here and there. And so I just found my own way to kind of make a passive income machine, <laughs> so to speak. And that's what I help people understand that, that they can do as well. It could be some REITs, it could be some private placements, it could be some stocks. I'm not a financial planner. I'm just, you know, at one time I worked at a brokerage house and I wanted to learn the stocks, bonds and mutual funds. And I just fell out of alignment with it, you know, because it didn't seem like a good, it seemed like a conflict of interest that, I'm talking to people about mutual funds, but meanwhile, all my money's in real estate. I just, it didn't sit well with me. So that, that little stint didn't last very long. So anyway. Do as I say, not as I do, I guess is that. Yeah, man, it was, it was a bad fit. I, I did it solely for educational purposes, by the way. It was that I wanted to learn how it worked so that I wouldn't be a one trick pony, that I wouldn't just be all I know is real estate and that's all I've ever done. I wanted to do a little more and know a little more. But there's very little alignment of interest. You know, I was working side by side with folks just graduating college that had never done any investing on their own, who had massive loads of debt and live paycheck to paycheck. And they're sitting there telling people, here's what you should do with your money. And I just, it, I did, just wasn't right for me. I'll put it that way. I'll quit, I'll quit bashing that industry. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it makes sense though. And it is a, a good, you know, sometimes that, you know, being placed in a job for a learning opportunity is, is actually a really good way to go. And I guess yeah. I would, I would say, would you, would you agree that maybe some of the other differences, one is the tax benefits, right? So you don't get, you don't really get the tax yeah. benefits yeah. investing in a REIT or any, anything within the stock market that you do in these private placements. And, and you mentioned before, like if you have, if you own Apple stock, you don't get to talk to Tim Cook, right? That's, that's yeah. never going to happen. But in the, in most syndications, you probably at least have some level of access to whoever the, the general partners are mm -hmm. to, to some degree, right? They still are in control, but you can at least maybe get a, uh, you know, deeper look at what's actually going on at the, at whatever property or whatever fund that you're in. So it's, I think there's, maybe it's just more transparency. Maybe that's the... It is. Transparency is a word that gets used a lot in the industry. It's more of a relationship business. So to your point, if you're the kind of person that likes to know the individual who's actually running the show, who's actually finding your deals, if you like to know them personally, then this is maybe in that regard, a better opportunity for you than a publicly traded company, which to your point, you'll never get to speak with the CEO. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know... If you're you're strictly passive investing, what uh, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but what what criteria are you looking for when you're when you're looking at deals? So that's a great question. So here's how I look at it for everybody. And I just actually earlier today, I just did a, a big webinar on this with a with a PowerPoint. So I always talk about start with your goal first. Okay, what is it you're really doing to your point of the show? What is your why? And then you're kind of reverse engineering. You're saying, so we have different people with different goals. Someone might have a goal of, I want 10,000 a month cash flow because I want to work part-time and I want to do this, that, and the other. Someone else might say, 
you know, forget cash flow. I just want to have 5 million bucks in the bank or whatever. So that's more of an equity focused goal. They may not care at all about cash flow or real estate for that matter. And so it's, it's first figuring out you, your why and where you're headed. And then it's figuring out what kind of investment can get me there to that goal. And for me, because you asked me the question, so my goal had a lot to do with lifestyle preference for my wife and I. We like to travel. We like to, you know, traditionally we've moved a lot. We just like to have freedom over our time, a lot of flexibility, a lot of options. We chose for many, many years to rent instead of own. We've done both. There's pros and cons, but the passive journey allowed us to live that kind of lifestyle. The active deals I used to do held me down to a local market. I was always going to a closing. I was always trying to fix a sprinkler head or manage a tenant or hire some new contractor for some job. I was constantly bombarded with local things that didn't make it possible for us to up and go travel Europe for three weeks, you know, if we chose to do that. So from, from a high level, that's, that's kind of, you know, why, <laughs> I guess. Right. And, the, you know, there's, you made a good point there. There's so many, you need to know what your goals are, what your strategy is, because there's so many different, you know, we're, you talk about syndication, there's so many different deal types, even within that category. There's all different, all different asset types, yeah. different ways that they're structured, you know, that sure. so you know, uh, at some level, you, you kind of need to know how that all works so that you can choose where you want to invest your money. Yeah, because, you know, even when you say real estate syndications, we could be talking self-storage, mobile home park, hospitality, multifamily, that kind of stuff. Then you got to look at the business model. You've got new development and construction, opportunistic deals, value add, core and core plus, list goes on and on there. And then you have specific criteria, which I, I get I didn't fully answer your question there. The, the full criteria is like, monthly distributions versus quarterly versus new development that doesn't have distributions? Do you want to be in Sunbelt regions? Do you want to be in major city hubs? Do you want to, I mean, again, it goes on and on. It can get a little overwhelming. So there's definitely resources and tools to help you uh, help clarify what the possibilities are. But again, for me, I live on passive income. I live on cash flow. And I've always been of the opinion that I want to try to be in something that's going to be around 30, 40, 50 years from now and something that produces income and has participation in any equity upside potential, right? I kind of want both ends of that because, you know, if cash flow stops, maybe the equity keeps going up or if the equity is not there, at least I have cash flow. It's kind of a twofold diversification piece, so to speak. So it's just figuring out for you what your goals are. I've done a lot of untraditional things in terms of investing where at an early age, I got rid of 401ks and IRAs and all these different things I had that tied me down to age 60. And I said, I'm going to reinvent the wheel. I want to live on income now. I want to have flexibility of lifestyle now, not later. And so I did things most people don't do or, or perhaps wouldn't do. So I'm not saying what I did is right for anybody listening, but just know there's, there's a lot of ways to approach this. And um, so anyway... Yeah, chat with me offline. I'm happy to help explain that more detail. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, it definitely just figuring out what what you want out of it, right? If you're yeah. off the cash flow, then obviously you need cash flow type. Uh, yeah. But then if you're if you're that person that you mentioned trying to have you know five million dollars in the bank, 
maybe yeah. you're looking at the real appreciation markets or you're looking at new development or something like that, Correct. just to kind of build that up so that, you know, however many years it takes, then, then you've got in you know, a nice big nest egg at that point. So when you're looking at specific deals, uh, you know, everybody always talks about, you need to vet the sponsor. Sure. So what, do you, what do you look at there? Yeah, it's a great question. So my job, the way I see it, my job as a limited partner is to look at a proposed deal, which is an overview or a, a projections of a deal and say, what is the likelihood that this general partner can actually do this business plan? Okay, so what do I have to go by? Well, track record experience, is this what they do full time? Is this their, their only sector that they focus in? In other words, is this sponsor doing self-storage and mobile home parks and short-term rentals and apartments and trying to get their hands everywhere? Or do they just do class B value add in Dallas, Fort Worth? And that's all they've ever done and that's all they do. So I tend to go more with the specialty groups. And of course I like to see who's on the team and you know, track record speaks on its own volume. And so, you know, you're always taking a risk. There's no guarantees, but you know, the person doing their first deal, the person doing their 50th deal, there's a difference there in a risk profile. But also you might have a better fee structure with a newer operator who's trying to attract new capital and, and get a competitive edge versus someone with a 30-year track record that says, you know, we take. 50% of the deal, <laughs> you know? So it, it all might, you know, kind of come full circle there. And uh, I've done a little bit of everything at this point, brand new operators and very, very experienced operators. So lots of lessons learned uh, in between that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, it's, it's uh, there are, when you start diving into it, there's just so many different actual components. And it's, you know, I think if you want to know all that you can, and if you want to just say, Hey, I picked, you know, I picked my team that I invest with and sort of let them uh, mm -hmm. you know, work out the rest of the details. Then, you know, that's, that's where a lot of people now are going to the funds fund model and everything. So that's, it, it's all available to you. Um, what about, you know, there, there's the 506B for and 506C differences where with 506C only accredited investors. So I think, I mean, and this is not like the SEC cares what I think, but I think that the fact that there are so many limits on people that are not accredited within private placement is, is a real detriment to them because like anybody can go ahead and get a brokerage account, right. And invest in the stock market. And as you mentioned earlier, lose their money overnight. If some, if somebody sends out the wrong tweet, but yeah. in, in real estate, there's a, a lot less volatility to it. So it, it's kind of, I, I don't know if you have a thought on this an opinion on, you know, sort of what, where do you think those regulations come from? Because mm -hmm. to me, it's almost backwards. I almost feel like you should put more regulation on yeah. stocks with the volatility than you would in real estate. I learned a lot years ago when I went to go get a uh, Series 7 and 63 license, which for anybody listening is now lapsed and, and I'm not current with those, but uh, I did pass those tests and I did hold those licenses at one time. And I learned a lot in the history of the stock market, for example, and the massive, massive fraud that's always been there in that industry from day one and you know things that led to the Great Depression and, and everything else, right? And so every time we have a catastrophic event, the SEC, you know, they create new rules and new laws and they start looking at new things and they're trying to, you know, plug all these holes. And once it seems like once they plug a hole, a new one opens over here. So you never know, like with high frequency trading and everything else that, that's going on. So to answer your question, 
in my opinion, what I, my takeaway was that all of these measures were put into play because your average everyday individuals had invested in something, let's say a private placement before there was a lot of regulation around it. And then for example, they got scammed, right? So they put in 50K, someone ran off with the money and it's like, what do you do, right? So they ended up putting in all these things saying, you know, if people don't have net worth or income, you know, to, to substantiate this investment they're making, maybe they shouldn't even be taking part in them because quite frankly, there's less reporting that's required of a syndicator than there would be of a publicly traded company like Apple that you used in, in the previous example. So, and, you know, here's the goofy thing. In reality, you know, who's looking at the prospectus of Apple stock before they buy it? You know what I mean? Like it exists and it's, it's given to you by the brokerage firm or whatever. It's publicly available and it's probably a thousand pages long and it's stuff most people will never read. But the whole point is they got to, they got to come up with something, you know what I mean? And, and all these, these um, you know, transparent uh, reports that, that they have to put in, I forget all the terms for them. You don't fall under the same scrutiny when you're in private placement. So the 506B, to your point, it suggests that you need a pre-existing relationship. Ideally, you know this person, you've worked with them before, that you know, as a GP, the LP's risk tolerance and their goals and what they're trying to accomplish. That helps mitigate risk to a point. Um, with a 506C, you can take on virtually anybody's money, so to speak. It can be publicly advertised. Some unknown investor can just come sign up and say, here's a million bucks, um, which is a little scary. <laughs> but it probably doesn't happen commonly, but yeah. The, the, but the fact is, yeah, they, yeah, it doesn't, by the way, uh, but they have to be verified accredited, right? So they have to go to a third party, usually a third party, a CPA, a broker dealer, uh, you know, verifyinvestor.com, and they have to get a letter uh, showing that they, they can, you know, substantiate this investment. You know, if everything went wrong, they're not going to be, you know, crippled by it. So, you know, that's just kind of my, my high level thoughts on it why they exist. I hate the fact that more people can't invest in, you know, real estate private placements, especially groups like, you know, with Ashcroft, they do 506Cs. And, you know, I've got family members I'd love to bring in, but, you know, they're, they're not accredited. So it is what it is. Right, right. Yeah, it just, it just seems to, to limit it to, to maybe some of the people who could be most helped by it. You know, you, you, yeah. if you're, if your private placements have to be accredited investors, they've, they've already got some level of wealth and, and wealthy people have plenty of ways to get more wealthy. Whereas the less than wealthy people, it, it seems like it's almost like a, it, there are obstacles to overcome to get that. So it's, I, I'm just always curious what people, you know, sort of other people's thoughts are on that. Um, but that's, uh, that's a, a very good take. Well, Travis, let me, uh, let's switch gears a little bit so I don't keep you all day long and we'll go to um, the questions that I just like to ask uh, of each guest. And I think typically uh, people have already sort of touched on this a little bit, but, but based on the, the name of the show being Know Your Why, what is, what is your why? What, what really drives you, uh, you know, kind of at this point in your career? I'm of the belief that you know, the, the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, which I don't have memorized, by the way, but it's, you know, like food, shelter, you know, this kind of stuff, relationships, etc. Well, at the top of the pyramid, after you get all of your foundation built, so to speak, and you got your needs taken care of, the highest pinnacle of that pyramid is, is contribution, you know, it's giving back, it's giving to others. So, you know, here's my belief. 
if you say, well, look, uh, I, I want to be very charitable. I love to give money to charity. Well, here's my belief. You got to take care of yourself first. You, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and can't pay your bills, you're not making any con, you know, contribution to the world. You know what I mean? Financially speaking. And in, in, in equally so with me back when, uh, I love to give time and I love to educate and I like to you know, help people in that way. But dude, I worked 100 hours a week and I'm flipping houses with my spare time. What time do I have for anyone? Zero. And so I couldn't contribute you know, in that way. Maybe I could financially and you know, but not, not with my time. So take care of yourself first is, is my belief. And then once you quit living paycheck to paycheck and once you pay off debt and once you learn how to invest and once you start multiplying money, now you can actually be effective in that mission. You know, so my why is to give back to other people, both financially and with my time. But right now what I'm doing in my life at this period in time is I figured out how to free up my time through the style of investing that I do that's very hands-off so that I can do podcasts like this and so that I can give 15 to 30-minute calls away to people all week long, all year long. I don't care if you're accredited or non-accredited or 18 years old looking to you know, house hack or rent a spare bedroom or if you're 75 and you're like, dude, you know, where, where's the yield out there? I'm trying to retire and I don't, you know, I'm making 0.1% in the bank. Different people are at different stages. If I can help at least point you in the right direction, that's what my mission is. And that's what my why is currently. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's you're, you're 100% right. It, it, you can donate, you can give back in some ways, but the, the more you take care of yourself, the more you set yourself, set yourself the, the more of that you can do. So yeah, it, it makes total sense. Um, to tell us something about yourself that maybe isn't common knowledge, which might be hard since you're pretty well known, but uh, <laughs> some, some uh, you know, hobby or, or uh, secret skill that no one knows. <laughs> I, I don't talk about this a lot. I used to be in multiple bands back when, and I was a drummer and a singer, and I'm a terrible singer, by the way. But how that happens, kind of a funny story. So I was drumming in our band. This was out in Florida. This was like post high school, college kind of era. And we had to basically fire our singer um, just for lack of not showing up and not caring about anything. So I got this like Phil Collins headset mic. It was the most ridiculous looking thing. We were like a rock band, by the way. This is like the most ridiculous thing. And we did a show and I didn't know half the words to our own songs. So I'm sitting there like butchering the songs. I can't sing on top of it. And I'm wearing the stupid headset. It was ridiculous. So not many people know, uh, you know, I've continued on with, with the drumming aspect. That's, you know, more or less a, a hobby of mine, but uh, definitely not a singer, just so everybody knows. That's that's very cool. I I too was in a band back a long time ago, and it, it's it's just fun. I mean, it's really yeah. I, I don't I don't think that we were particularly good. It's just a lot of fun, and and I love yeah it. so it's yeah something cool to do. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. What's what's the best way for people to reach out to you? So I, I created a landing page. First of all, you can go to any social media and pretty much find me minus maybe Twitter. So Travis Watts, W-A-T-T-S, or on Instagram and Facebook, it's at Passive Investor Tips. So reach out there if that's kind of your method. If you want to get on my calendar or do a one-on-one -on -one call, I have nothing to sell you. I have no courses, no books, no nothing. Like I said, my, my contributions giving back to others. So www.ashcroftcapital.com forward slash Travis. I have downloadable PDFs of what 
private placements are, how they work, how to vet a deal, a market, a sponsor, jam-packed with great content, and my calendar's there as well. So reach out. I'd love to help you if I can. Awesome. Awesome. Final question for you, Travis. What piece of advice would you give to someone that's, you know, maybe uh, a few years back from where you are in your journey uh, in terms of, you know, related? Well, I guess it doesn't have to be related to real estate, just piece of advice to to let people uh, get ahead in life. I would say, so I can is more important than IQ. I think a lot of people think, oh, not not suggesting me, but just whoever, oh, that person's like super smart, like Warren Buffett, you know, I, I can never do what he does, but you really can do what he does, right? He's just learning how to evaluate companies and stocks and he's just buying them. You know, it's not rocket science. It just takes a little training and education, but that takes a little willpower and a little self-discipline. And so that that's my saying, you know, I can's more powerful than IQ. You do not have to be very intelligent to be an investor, um, even if you're just starting with, you know, passively putting away some money and in, into some publicly traded REITs or something like that. You know, I say the, the important thing is just get started, start the journey, uh, you know, listen to Tony Robbins or somebody and just get some motivation flowing and some juices going and just start identifying and clarifying your goals, your mission and what you really want out of life. And I think it, you know, speaking of Tony Robbins, he's got a great quote that most people overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. There's so much truth to that, you know, give it 10 years for real. Everyone wants to lose 100 pounds, you know, in one year or get the six pack in 30 days or whatever it is. Give yourself 10 years. You'll absolutely get there with almost any realistic goal, you know. So anyway, that's all I got. Yeah, you just have to get started and and, and keep with it. Just don't, yep. don't quit and it, it'll happen. It, it, it will happen for sure. Uh, yep. That's great. Travis, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate all the, the great um, value that you've provided. And, and uh, you didn't really mention it, but also all that great content on the on the Best Ever podcast that you, <laughs> that you guys put out all the time. So there, there's so much out there and so much uh, that people can learn. It's, 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 all, it's all free. Um, so again, thank you so much for your time. You bet, Jason. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks for the time. All right. Have a good day, everyone. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.